Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them. I hope you will, too. And today, I'm going to read you a story by Daniel Wallace. Maybe you know that name already. He's written a bunch of novels that you might know, including one that became the movie Big Fish. Tim Burton movie. Fantastic film. And his latest novel is called Extraordinary Adventures. Daniel is the J. Ross McDonald Distinguished Professor of English at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where he directs the creative writing program. And the story that we'll read today is called Sea Girls, and it was published in Ten House magazine. It's a tale of a mermaid encounter. But this is not a glorious, magical encounter. And this is a world that, as far as we can tell, is very much like the one in which we live. So, let's plumb these dark depths together, shall we? If you're ready, let's take a deep breath. And begin. Sea Girls by Daniel Wallace. I met her on the beach, standing beside the body of a mermaid that had washed ashore. We had learned about these creatures in history class how the surf would occasionally carry one in, tangled in string and seaweed, barely breathing, sickened by the great sink of dishwater we called the ocean. Everything at one time or another seemed to end up on a beach, but even so, I'd never known of anyone who saw an actual mermaid. It was February, I was 16 years old, a resolutely downhearted boy, and that day, more than ever. The colors of the world were variations of gray, and the grays folded into one another. The sand, the sky, the sea, it all looked like an old sidewalk. Our quiet island felt abandoned, 
I heard a car honk, a dog bark, and a plastic bag brushed past my legs as the wind took it down the shore. The ferry brought vacationers here all summer long with their bags of sunscreen and their laughter. But now it was just us, the year rounds, a few thousand souls whose own names could be found on our ancestors' gravestones. The rest of the world seemed so much brighter, so much better. There was nothing I wanted more than not to be here. I'd come to the beach from town. I was watching the toes of my shoes kick at the hard sand, trying to recalibrate my life, the way you do when the plans you've made for yourself have fallen through. And it was when I glanced up that I saw her, a hundred or so feet away, not the mermaid, but the girl. And I saw her see me. She came into focus gradually, as if she were being composed by the elements right there on the spot. A sea mist sifted over the shore, and in the distance she appeared to be more of a shadow than a real girl, a spirit come to tell me something I needed to know. I realized. I knew her. Allie Campbell. I'd seen her before, often, in fact. She was one of a hundred of us wandering the hallways of our school in pre- and post-class migrations. She resembled a stork, but the most beautiful stork you've ever seen. She was tall, the tallest girl in school, thin, but with broad shoulders, nose like a friendly beak. Her hair was black, thick, and heavy. It fell in her face sometimes, which was a shame, but she would brush it back and away with her hand, and that was something to see too, like a curtain opening at the beginning of a show. She didn't wear any jewelry and no makeup that I could ever see, and when she laughed, you could hear her from one end of the school to the other. I'd never spoken to Allie, ever, but it was not for lack of wanting. There was something that came from just seeing her that warmed me. Today, she was wearing overalls over some sort of frilly thing. Pant legs rolled up above her ankles. Purple tennis shoes. No socks. She was younger than me by a year, but did not look like it or act like it. She seemed like the perfect example of who she was meant to be. Whereas... The best compliment I'd ever gotten was from an aunt who said she couldn't wait to see what I would become when I grew into myself. My mother and father, on the other hand, didn't seem to think I was going to grow into much of anything. She was standing at the water's edge, hands stuck in her overall pockets, gazing not toward the mainland, but toward the vast, uninterrupted emptiness of the sea. She gave me the impression of a person who thought she was alone, who was afraid she was alone. Then she turned my way and started walking. We may have seen the mermaid at about the same time. I didn't think mermaid, of course, 
It's not the first thought that comes into your head when you see something washed up on the beach. I thought she was just a bundle of driftwood at first, or a tuna, half eaten by a shark. I always thought the mermaid stories were made up, like the tales of ghosts and soul-stealing goblins we grew up on. They were not. As we drew closer, our steps slowed until we met on either side of the mermaid, an arm's length away, and stopped. For a moment, we were trapped in the silence of the stunned. Allie got over it more quickly than I did. Holy shit, she said. She scanned my face for what felt like verification. Her eyes could not have been wider. I mean, right? I nodded mindlessly. Holy shit, was right. She backed up a step, studied the mermaid for a long beat, and then out to the sea from whence the mermaid came. She shook her head. This is not good, she said. It's not, I said. Because it's not bad, I thought, finding a mermaid. How often does that happen? I actually thought it was kind of awesome, and I couldn't wait to tell somebody, anybody, this story. What happened to me the day I found a mermaid? But Allie grimaced and turned away. God, just look at it. It, she said. Not her. But I did look, and... I have to admit that I had never seen anything less beautiful in my life. We hadn't spent a lot of class time on mermaids, no more than we had on ancient sea eels and the giant birds of prey that used to swoop down and steal a baby from its carriage and the time it took a mother to blink. All I remembered, really, was that mermaids were a half-fish, half-human female sort of creature. And this seemed to be the case. But this one, lying on her back in the carbonated surf, was not divided up into the constituent parts as neatly as that. She was all dull, fishy scales and fins on the bottom. And once you went above the waist area, the female began. The scales faded but did not disappear. No belly button or hips. And she didn't have breasts but just a gentle swell where a normal woman's breasts would be. She had arms and hands, but her fingers were webbed and torn. And she had the face of a woman, just not the face of a woman you wanted to look at for very long. Eyes, but no eyelids, some sort of see-through sheath instead. And a nose much too small for her oblong face. Her fishy mouth opened and closed as if she were trying to speak or breathe. Her hair was a matted mess of sticks and seaweed and half of a plastic cup. Something in her hair was moving, a sea worm. Her skin was burned and scarred by the broken jellyfish tendrils clinging to her neck. I could see the fear in her eyes. She tried to move away from us, it seemed, to get herself safely back into the sea. But she was too far away from the water. She couldn't get the purchase. Allie shook her head and sighed, as if she could have done without all of this. The mermaid, certainly, but maybe me, too. 
A long moment passed. The mermaid was still, waiting for whatever happened next. The waves hit the hard sand and died in a whisper. My name's Allie, Allie said to me. I know, I croaked. You know? How do you know? I go to school with you. I'm Roger. Roger Martin? She dipped her chin. Oh, sure. I see you now. Fog's in my eyes. Nice to meet you, Roger Martin. Allie pursed her lips and gave the mermaid another unpleasant once-over. The mermaid was looking back and forth between us, as if she was trying to figure out who of the two of us was her friend. Then, Allie turned to me, squinted. Hey, don't you work at Pilkington's? Yes, I said. I mean, no, not anymore. Pilkington's was the island grocery. Mr. Pilkington, a good friend of my father's from his bowling days, a fiery and corpulent grocer, passionate about his work, gave me the job as a favor. It was my first. I'd hoped that by the time the next summer came around, I would have saved enough money to get on the ferry myself and see what the mainland might have to offer me. Maybe I would grow into something different and better there. But the job hadn't lasted long. I'd saved only a few dollars. I was stuck. Allie kept staring, trying to place me, and then she sort of gasped and pointed. I had been placed. You bagged our groceries, she said. She almost laughed but stopped herself. (laughs) They busted all over the place. Yeah, I said. That happened a lot. And I mean all over the place. Oranges rolling down the aisles, eggs completely smashed, glass everywhere. It was crazy. I know, I said. I remembered that day. I remembered Allie and her mother and her father coming in together. You have never seen three people who enjoyed shopping for groceries more than the Campbells did. Mrs. Campbell pushed the cart, and Allie was tossing things into it left and right, while Mr. Campbell appeared to be giving the cart directions, like a traffic cop. They were all laughing. I got the feeling that the best things were always happening to them. They weren't like a real family, at least not like mine. They were like a commercial for what a family could be. At checkout, I did my best, but that was the problem. My best was never good enough. I jammed everything into a single bag, and when Mr. Campbell hoisted it into his arms, it exploded. Bottom first. Pilkington fired me, I said. Like half an hour ago. Really? Wow. Bet your parents won't be happy about that. Oh, I think they'll be okay about it. Allie let that hang there for a beat, cocking her head as if I were speaking a foreign language. Their expectations for me are pretty low, I said. They're always like, keep your head down, don't make trouble, and everything will probably turn out okay. 
Actually, I bet they would be happy about it. Their feelings about me confirmed, but they wouldn't smile because smiling was something they either were against or didn't have the muscles to execute. If I told them I'd found a mermaid, they'd shrug and turn up the volume on the radio. Allie still seemed puzzled. So, you never really got the hang of it? Bagging groceries? Nope, I never did. But is it really all that hard? I didn't like the direction this conversation was taking. I wouldn't say it was hard, really, I said. I just wanted to get everything into one bag. No matter how many bags of groceries you bought, I liked how neat that was. One person, one bag. The cashier would say, this is a two-bagger, Roger, and I still put it all in one bag. But there was more to it than that. I wanted to show my parents I wasn't them. If I was going to be bagging groceries, I wanted to be the best bagger of groceries there ever was. I wanted to be the boy who changed the way we thought about bagging groceries forever, disappointing them by doing better than they ever thought I would, even at this. I would have a bigger life than theirs. That's dumb, Allie said. You should have used two bags, or three, and you would still have a job. Maybe, I said, but that's not very romantic, is it? She frowned, shook her head, turned away, as if she couldn't even glance at me. No, she said, it's not. But as a bagger of groceries, you were a failure. And that's not very romantic either. That seemed harsh. But there also seemed to be no possible benefit for me in sticking with this line of inquiry, so I directed her attention back to the mermaid. What do we do? I said. Because Allie had the quality of a leader, and I had the quality of a man who could do a very good job following one. Not sure, she said. She brought her right hand to her chin and actually started tapping against it with her fingers, thinking. We could tell someone. A scientist, I said. Or a zookeeper. Have you ever... Of course not, she said. Have you? I shook my head. Goosebumps prickled my arms. The mermaid was either crying or dripping salt water. It was hard to tell. Do you think she can understand English? Allie snorted. Seriously? She said. She stared at me as if she were trying to decide whether I was more stupid than crazy or the other way around. She's basically a fish. Half a fish, I said. I'd say 60-40 fish to person. The mermaid's eyes skipped side to side. If she could talk or understand words, why would it be English? Why not Greek or Phoenician? The mermaid made a sound then, but it wasn't a word in English or anything else. It was a muffled wail, a garbled moan. She's hurt, I said. The more I examined her, 
the more cuts and bruises and open sores I saw. I was thinking she'd gotten into a fight with a narwhal. She just wants to get back out to sea. But as I kneeled down to get closer and maybe tend to one of her wounds and then maybe to take her hand and help back into her watery home, Allie screamed, really screamed, No! She threw an arm into my bony chest and pushed me. I stumbled backward, almost fell. What's your problem? I said. You don't know? You don't know what they do? A small wave rolled in and tried to make its way to us, but it died a foot or two before the mermaid's bottommost fin. What do you mean, what they do? Mermaids, she said. The wind blew strands of hair into her eyes, and she brushed them away. They come ashore like this and are all like, Help me, help me, I'm a mermaid, until a man wanders by and tries to help because there's nothing a man likes more than thinking he saved a woman, even half a woman. And when he does, she grabs him and swims away and takes him back to wherever it is mermaids live and makes him... makes him... What? I was an idiot. She knew that now. Roger, come on. You know what I'm talking about. Don't make me say it. I don't, I said. I didn't. Makes him what? She sighed. Okay. How do you think mermaids are made, Roger? How do you think they come to be? Because there aren't any mermen. You know what I'm saying? Mermen are just an idiotic story invented to try to explain mermaids when the truth is too repulsive. You really don't hear that much about mermen, I said. Exactly. How do you think this, she indicated the poor beaten up womanly half fish before us, happened? With each passing moment, I seemed to become of less and less interest to her. Pathetic. Naive. Dumb. I realize anyone who says they're not stupid usually is. But I'm not. I do move at a slower pace, thought for thought, than some. I don't jump ahead. I see things as they come. This only makes me seem stupid. But Allie didn't give up on me. I'm saying the mermaids have all the fish parts they need, but occasionally they need the man parts from up here. So they come up and they get a man from the island and they take him down there to their caves and he, the man, he has to do what he has to do, what they make him do, in order to make more mermaids. I looked at our mermaids. She seemed to be following the conversation. She was watching me pretty closely. There was a vertical slit in her scales right up around her waist. I saw that now. But, I mean, I said, you, you can't. And the water with... I was having a lot of thoughts. A trip down to the bottom of the sea, hand in hand with a mermaid. I was imagining the logistics of it. What happened before and what happened after? This had never come up in school. Not even once. I mean, underwater, that long. You would die. You would die, she said. 
They don't take women, and the men are gone for good. Against my instincts, I was starting to believe her. I had an uncle, I said, Uncle Sherman. When I was a kid, he just disappeared. My father said he went to the mainland. Allie nodded as if this were a story she'd heard a hundred times. They have ways of keeping you alive long enough to do what needs to be done, she said. That's what I've heard. Probably wouldn't have to keep me alive all that long. Probably not. From what I understand, it's all business. I noted how the mermaid's webbed fingers seemed to be edging toward me just a bit, closer to my left foot. Or maybe I imagined that, but I took a half step back. I can't really tell if you're kidding, I said. Oh, she said, would that I were. <laughs> would that I were, I laughed. That sounds like something your parents would say. Arthur and Jane Campbell, in addition to being a good-looking couple and enthusiastic shoppers, were a little fancy. They were civic leaders, volunteers for all things good, just, and right. Opposing paper mills and asphalt plants, championing the polar bear and ice caps and the equality of everything, cocktail party and book club aficionados, lovely people. My parents always called them, but not with much fondness. My parents did not aspire to be lovely. Cold and waxy worked for them. But when I said this, her expression darkened. She turned, walked a few steps into the surf. The water rolled up as high as her ankles before receding. Her purple tennis shoes were soaked. My parents, she said, are getting a divorce. No way. The Campbells weren't divorceable. They were like a team, a unit, one thing. They were the Campbells. Oh, way. The mermaid was definitely listening now, its face turned toward Allie, staring at her with foggy fish eyes. You know Miss Lawrence, with the curly blonde hair and painted lips, teaches history? You must have had her last year. That was when my father started having her, too. Mom and Dad just told me. Allie stared blankly toward the horizon we couldn't see and spoke to it. My mom was crying and trying not to. My dad looked like he was about to die of embarrassment or shame or whatever feeling it is you get when you blow up your own family. Fuck that. I, I just left. I kind of ran away, I guess, and I ended up at the pier. She shrugged, but it wasn't a real shrug. The same way a photo smile isn't a real smile. Anyway, that happened. I guess about the time Mr. Pilkington was firing you. I'm sorry, I said. Me too, she said. I like the idea of being a family, of just being this simple thing, the Campbells. And I have always despised Miss Lawrence. The thought of them together makes me sick. 
My father would probably sleep with this disgusting mermaid, too. He'd take the chance, thinking he might have a good time down there and make it back from the death cave. And who cares about what happens to the rest of us? Fucking jerk. She kicked the sand with a vengeance. When she faced me again, her expression had hardened. Her eyes seemed more gray than blue. Had she smiled, her face would have broken into pieces. We've learned a lot today, haven't we, Roger? The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire. Michelle Obama, to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Summer. The best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Now, let's get back to our story. The fog and murk were still thick all around us and became thicker as the sun, unseen now for days, pointlessly began to set. I felt enclosed within it as if I'd fallen into a bowl of oatmeal. Allie was going out of focus, too, her face hidden beneath her hair, disappearing 
into her own grief. But the mermaid had a fluorescent glow like magic plankton. I could see the welts on her shoulders, the scars that came from swimming too close to coral, the knuckles on her almost human fingers covered in open, bleeding sores. To be a mermaid was to be a fighter, I imagined, constantly having to battle every ravenous and toothy fish in the sea. She had the face of a monster, that was for sure, but still, now that I'd had a chance to look at it for a while, a kind of beautiful monster. Her mouth quivered. She breathed the air. She was so, so sad. There must be a spot somewhere down there in the ocean, mythic in its wonder, an oxygenated cavern, cloaked by fathoms of watery darkness, where she and her sisters met to breathe, and where, if Allie was to be believed, they took callow men like me to plant their seed in them and die. How this act occurred on land or in the water was a mystery to me. I had never been with a female of any kind. But someone had made this mermaid. I peered at her to see if I could recognize a relation in her eyes, a missing friend, perhaps, a dead uncle, a resemblance in the rise of her cheekbones, her marble chin, and peered closer still, believing that I could understand her the more of her I was able to see, and that when I told this story later, I could tell people how I stared into the eyes of a mermaid. That's when she went for my ankle. It happened in a flash. Her arm was longer than it seemed. Maybe it wasn't an arm at all, but some fishy appendage that masqueraded as an arm. Or was part arm and part something else. A fingered flipper. No human arm could have reached me or moved that quickly. And no human hand could have gripped my bones so ferociously tight. It was like a manacle. I heard something crack, felt a bone break as the webbed fingers strengthened their hold on me. Still on her back, her face turned to me. The mermaid met my eyes, and she screamed like an animal, a high-pitched guttural howl. Not like an animal, she was an animal. The human light in her eyes had died, replaced by instinct and need. Her other hand was anchored into the sand as she tried to drag herself into the water, taking me with her. I fell. The waves rolled in beneath us. Either the ocean was getting closer to us or we were getting closer to it, but we still had a patch of dry shore ahead of us. She raised her head to see how far and grimaced, then moaned. So far to go, but I could smell her now, and she smelled like death. Her grip tightened, and the pain shot through my leg and exploded in my brain. I was easier for her to move now. I could not fight her. My pants and shirt and jacket were dampened in the wet sand as she pulled me closer to the surf. And then I felt it. The ocean itself, a dying wave thinly seeping into my pants. Then another wave, so much deeper, so much wetter than the last. I tried to crawl backwards and away from her, but I couldn't. She was too strong. Allie had disappeared. I didn't blame her. 
She didn't know me, and she had to save herself. Or maybe she just panicked and ran, her own animal instinct kicking in. I forgave Allie, because that was something I might have done myself, being at heart a coward. I hadn't lived long enough to learn how not to be. And then she was back. Allie materialized out of the fog, sudden as a ninja, an oar held above her head like a hatchet. It was wooden, old, the kind of oar you see on a rowboat, solid and heavy as iron. From my vantage point, flat on the beach, she towered above me and looked like a giant holding a tree. Down, she brought it onto the arm of the mermaid, smashing the oar between the elbow and the wrist. The mermaid shrieked. She lashed out at Allie with her other arm, but Allie was faster. She stepped away. The mermaid's fish mouth twisted into a repulsive shape, wide and dark. She had small, sharp teeth made for tearing into flesh. She screeched again, but still she didn't let go of me. I was too important. She lifted herself up as best as she could, as if she were trying to stand. But then down came the oar again, and I could hear something snap, and one part of her arm seemed to separate from the other beneath the mottled flesh. The mermaid raised her one good arm to protect herself and writhed in the sand, made a pitiful cry, begging for mercy. Allie was not finished, though. Her face was so full of fury and hatred, and she cried out, too, her own guttural howl. I thought how lucky I was to have met someone who cared so deeply about me when I most needed to be cared for. But I was wrong about that. I was wrong about everything. For a long time, I thought this story was about me. Even that day on the beach, I was already figuring out how I was going to tell it. How I found a mermaid and the girl of my dreams at the very same time. But it was never about me. I was just the beneficiary of Allie's broken heart. Allie raised the oar again, even higher. But the mermaid managed to engage a particle of her remaining strength. She dodged the blow, and the paddle sliced into the sand. But she was still clutching my ankle, tighter still. So I pushed myself up with my elbow and one by one pried her talons off me, and she screeched and cried. Her flesh tore, a bone broke. She tried to bite me, and had her teeth found me, I know I would have no hand today, but I pulled away as the waves rushed in. Her fin, so powerful, slapped and splashed into the water, and then she was in it, slithering through the surf like a serpent, suddenly yards and yards away. Then she turned and looked back at us, eyes full of hurt, anger, hatred, even betrayal. And then she vanished. Her tail disappeared beneath the water, not even a ripple left behind. She was gone.
Allie stood there, keeping sentinel, breathing hard, crying softly, watching for a return. I sat on the sand with a broken ankle. She didn't ask me if I was okay, because the fact that I was there at all was proof of that. Maybe I was numb, in shock. Maybe we both were. But I could feel the world moving on already. The ocean rolled toward us and away, same as ever. The sky, a blanket of gray. The shadow of dusk approaching. Allie dropped the oar. She sat down beside me, and her chest rose and fell like the waves. Black, wet hair covered one side of her face. She watched the sea as I watched her, and then she turned, and for the first time, I think she really saw me, this helpless, hurting boy who did not even know how to bag groceries who was saved from a fate worse than death by a woman much, much stronger than he. A man who would limp a little for the rest of his life. I could hear Allie breathing, and the sound of her breath was like a sound the sea made. My hand was bleeding. She reached over and brushed some of the sand away from it to see how deep the cuts there were, And then she held my hand. We stayed that way for a long time, looking outward. The sun was setting over the mainland, and the wind blew the water white and black. But we feared nothing. Who doesn't love a good mermaid story, right? I mean, come on. And this is one whale of a mermaid story, pardon the pun. I mean, it's a great character study of this kid. And we also get a real clean and good sense of of the girl, Allie. But it's also kind of a scary tale. I can imagine... You know, on the beach, at night, around a roaring fire. Uh, This is the kind of story that just might scare the shit out of you in a good way, right? I think we all have that duality inside of us. We are all, you know, like our traditional image of the mermaid that is, you know, kind of benevolent, you know, attractive, pretty. uh, Maybe I'll overlook the whole tail thing, right? But... The lioness, as beautiful as she is, tending to her baby cubs, if an interloper comes in, that lioness turns ferocious and, and she will kill with prejudice um, anything or anyone 
that tries to mess with with her brood. So I think that that we all have as a part of who we are that that duality of beautiful and ugly or beautiful in its ugliness or ugly in its power. Um, I, I think that's very much a part of the world in which we live. And this story certainly reflects that about us as, as human beings and, and apparently mermaids too. For me, this was a, a great take on the whole mermaid thing. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a little, I guess there's a little danger, you know, sort of built in that the sirens of the sea lure sailors into the rocks and, and scuttle their boats. Um, but this takes it, this takes it a step further. I mean, his description of her and, and then the realization uh, that they literally steal men, you know, and, and take them down to the bottom of the sea in some dark, dank, cavern and have their way with them and kill them. Love that. I mean, come on. (laughs) That's storytelling. That's storytelling. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is the best in the business, Julia Smith. Our assistant producer is Audrey No. Editing and sound design was by Misha Stanton. And my thanks to our consulting producer, Mr. Adam Dybert. And I want to thank Matt Apodaca and Sam Kiefer for their engineering expertise on today's episode. And my great thanks to Daniel Wallace for allowing me to read Sea Girls. His latest novel is entitled Extraordinary Adventures, and it's available from St. Martin's Press. Check out IndieBound.org to find a bookstore and buy your copy. And Daniel would also like you to check out a nonprofit local to him in North Carolina called Book Harvest, which provides books to children and promotes kids' literacy. That's at BookHarvest.org nc.org do that y'all are you looking for a community with which to share your love for LeVar Burton Reads and are you one of those old fuddy-duddies who's still on Facebook like me well you're in luck because our Facebook page is starting a group that will be monitored by fans and that is where you can go to share your love, your questions, your comments for all things LeVar Burton Reads. And you never know who's reading, watching, and occasionally dropping by. Just go to Facebook and search LeVar Burton Reads for all the fun. And hey, if you love the show and want to help other people find it, it's easy to do. Simply leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And in that review, tell us a story that you would like to hear on the pod. We have been using your suggestions to make new episodes. We'll be back next week with another hand-picked story. Or if you can't wait that long, well, you can indulge in the next episode on Stitcher Premium. Each episode goes up one week early and ad-free. In addition, there's bonus content only for the premium channel. Interviews with me and some of the authors whose stories I read on the show. 
Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar, or if you're listening in Stitcher, simply tap the menu button in your app and select Premium for one month free. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon and Jenny Radelette of the Flying Radelette Sisters. I'm LeVar Burton, and you can find me on Twitter, at LeVar Burton, and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. And for the kids in your life, please check out LeVar Burton Kids' Skybrary app with books and videos at LeVarBurtonKids.com. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word. Stitcher. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw. I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 